You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Does your partner suffer from try it again syndrome, or one hangitis, or even worse, delusional performance disorder? Well, there really isn't a cure for DPD, except for a good smackdown. But it does probably mean that you've been belaying them for hours and hours on end, and are now suffering from BNP or belayer neck pain, a stiffness in the cervical spine just below the occipital region of your thick thick skull. But now there's a cure for BMP resulting from DPD. Ask your doctor about belay specs. And when he doesn't know what the hell you're talking about, just smile and tuck that prescription for opiates away for your next overseas plane flight. But then ask several strangers about belay specs. Ask that cute barista at the coffee shop on the corner about belay specs. In fact, ask everyone you know about belay specs. Keep talking about belay specs until nobody wants to climb with you anyway. Problem solved. But if that doesn't work, then go to belayspecs.com and get yourself a pair. And don't forget to enter EnormaCast at checkout for a discount and to help out the podcast. Side effects may include people thinking you're staring at them when you're not. Old track runners rolling their eyes. People putting them on for the first time saying, ooh, that's trippy. People insisting they don't like those weird glasses even though they've never even tried them. If you feel drowsy, nauseous, rumbling in your stomach, horny, confused, or have strange, vivid dreams, this probably has nothing to do with Specs. And is more likely from that bug you picked up in that backpacker's hostel in Rio after five too many caipirinhas. Belayspecs.com. Say adeus to Blair neck pain. So let's say you've taken the advice you've heard on the Enormacast and played it ice climbing cool with that special climbing friend, going on trip after trip like your family, even though you've had the hots for him or her since they burned you off your proj and flips and a ratty pair of yojimbos from the lost and found. Well, if the perfect belay isn't conveying your longing, perhaps the climbing-inspired jewelry and accessories of Peter Gilroy will help you put the punctuation on that date that's not a date, might be a date, climbing date. At PeterWGilroy.com, you'll find jewelry, money clips, belt buckles, hats, and more, all inspired by the rock and the mountains on which your love has flourished. So please, before you resort to the lean-in or the forgotten sleeping bag or the embarrassing confessional after a 12-pack around the campfire, try a classier approach with a spectacular gift from PeterWGilroy.com. And if you crash and burn... Know that Peter and the Normacast still appreciate your support, even if your partner does short rope you to the curb. And remember, enter Enormo at checkout for a discount. But keep that part to yourself. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it's it out. Out. I'll say you really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalis. It is 
October 16th, almost 10 o'clock, Mountain Standard Time. Not the dark time yet. We still got a couple weeks left before the darkness descends, the crushing darkness. This is episode 114 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Colin Powick. Who is Colin Powick? Well, most importantly, he assures me, Colin Powick is Canadian. Very, very Canadian. And he wants us to know that. Secondly, he is the director of objects. No, the director of categories, the category director, something like that at Black Diamond Equipment. But what he is, is in charge, relatively in charge, probably thinks he's in charge of the people who design much of the climbing gear over at Black Diamond and has been there for quite some time. So we talked to Colin about all that stuff, about uh, the uses and misuses of gear, where it all comes from, how it gets built, how strong it is, all those sorts of things. But before I get to that, I wish to issue a couple apologies. Apology one is to Adeline Gay, who was on the Ladies' Night episode back uh, a couple years ago, uh, episode 54, 55, something like that. Anyway, the reason I'm apologizing to Adeline is that I said Pee Wee was the first person on the show who hails from Quebec, but that's not true because Adeline is from Quebec, although she lives in uh, Moab, Utah, and probably plans never to return to the Great White North, although maybe I just alerted immigration. So apology number two, Adeline. Anyway, okay, second apology, as long as we're talking about ladies tonight, is, uh, you know, it's been kind of dude heavy over here at the Enorma Cast, and that is not entirely my fault. It's just been sort of a coincidence, but the last three interviews I've had booked with ladies uh, got moved or canceled, didn't happen for some reason or another. Um, mostly just scheduling and something came up, but, uh, but yeah, and it just coincidentally, uh, it was three of the women that all canceled. And, uh, so we're stuck with lots of guys lately over here at the Enorma cast. So I do my best and I hopefully will have all three of those women back on the show. It had nothing to do with anything besides scheduling. So hopefully we'll get them back on and, uh, always looking for more. So, um, again, I just kind of noticed it recently as I'm, editing through these things like, oh man, another dude. But uh, it's the way it goes sometimes, you know. I'm a mercenary just looking for interviews under every rock. And lately I've just been finding lots of dudes under those rocks. My apologies. Hopefully more women soon. Just want to do something special Just wanna do something special for all the ladies in the world and the girls. But don't forget that Caribbean, lady, Parisian, lady, Bolivian, lady, Namibian, lady, Eastern Oceanian, lady, Republic of Dominican, lady, Amphibian, lady, Presbyterian. Okay, Colin Powick, what is he doing on the show? Well, as you know, Black Diamond is a sponsor of the Enorma cast, and so I tend to have 
quick and easy access to those folks, speaking of being a mercenary. But the truth is, is that Colin's been a fan of the show since before Black Diamond came on board. I know it seems like they've been here forever, but I did go it alone up there with just me and Bonfire Coffee, although they were Defiant Bean Coffee back then in the beginning. And Colin was on board, sending me emails, telling me he enjoyed the show from the beginning. And so We've been friends, and uh, we got to talking a few times and, and kind of kept talking about how it would be cool to have somebody on the show that really knows gear, understands how it works, its strengths, its weaknesses, the myths, the mistakes, all the different things that go into uh, into gear, and also kind of where it comes from how uh, and why people bother making it so we can buy it and use it. So, yeah, Colin's on the show today to talk about all that stuff. Smart guy, been in the business a long time. Also a great climber, really good climber and uh, a climbing fool. Somebody who uh, lives it, both alpine climbing, rock climbing, whatever. He's actually, like many Canadians who have three-month summers, two-month summers, uh, he's a really good ice climber. So that's kind of part of his thing over at Black Diamond as well. So today's show is about gear, and hopefully uh, you'll learn something. Maybe become a little more safe out there. And I want to mention really quickly that other companies, including Petzl, have gotten in touch with me about these sorts of issues or answered my questions about these sorts of issues and even offered to uh, do a similar type show. And uh, it just happens to be that it worked out with me and Colin. But, uh, but I do want to uh, thank other folks for reaching out to uh, you know try to help you guys be a little more safe out there. Well, maybe we'll come back around with some other engineers down the road. All right, hope you enjoy it. Nerding out on gear with Colin Powell. Hello, these past few months, I've been trying to get you, the listener, to support the Enormacast by buying new climbing shoes from Sportiva. But did you feel that chill in the air this morning? That coolness that'll start to draw the masochists from their dark, dry tooling lairs? Well, Sportiva makes mountain boots, or if you're a Honold, crampon-ready sneakers, to get you up the gnarliest, iciest project your semi-dormant limbic cortex has dreamed up over the happy days of summer. So it's probably time to start shopping for those, if rock climbing is just too fun for you. And they've got trail running shoes for your pre-masochism masochism. So go check it out, Sportiva.com, or your nearest outdoor retailer, the Enormacast and Sportiva, like two bros in a bivy sack. Matter trying to educate the climbers out there, which is what I'm trying to do, you know, with these QC labs and stuff like that. So that that's kind of the impetus for the QC lab. What is, why is it QC? Quality Just, control. Yeah, thanks. it used to be called. Uh, it used to be called QC with KP because because pretty obvious. Yeah, quality control. It, thanks. It used thanks. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, and the QC lab. To answer your question, it started off. It was called QC with KP because I was kind of the guy that did it. And I didn't really like that because I don't actually do much. It's the whole team that's doing all the work. So we just, we changed it to QC lab. And the reason that all started was years ago. I mean, I'm always out climbing and I'm always seeing all kinds of sketchy stuff happen at the cliffs or seeing sketchy gear. So I'm always replacing sketchy draws or slings off of trees from ice climbs or whatever and bring them into the lab and breaking them and finding out how strong stuff is. And people are generally interested in that kind of stuff. So it just started being this thing where I would break this stuff and then throw out this data for the public to see just to go, oh, wow, like, don't trust everything that's out there. Yeah. And I, I mean, and you guys, like as gear manufacturers, you were talking about how, you know, 
um, in, in one of the Q- QCs I read, you're talking about the, um, the ratings that are set. I think it was in the one about the gear loop or the uh, hall loop. Oh yeah, yeah. And how the ratings are set, you know, what, what is full strength depends yeah, yeah, on yeah. certain gear. Yeah, and exactly. then, and it's the, who is it? The, who's the body that sets that? Is it the UIAA? Yeah, or? the UIA is part of it. There's also the CE standards. So in order to sell equipment into Europe, you need to meet what's called the, the CE requirements. And there's okay. these EN standards, and you have to meet that. And then the UIA is this body that's basically takes the CE standards and maybe has a little bit above and beyond that. And that's their like alpinism Basically, group, or, yeah. Or, yeah, is yeah. It, what is it? The United International Association no. of Alpinism or something, right, like, something that. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, they create these they create these standards um, that the product needs to meet or can meet for UIA must meet for the CE, and it's it's unfortunately it's not super clear. So this is it full strength? Is it full strength? Right. And, I, and I wrote that one fairly recently about well, what does full strength even mean? Yeah, because it depends on what you're talking about. A sling is different than a beaner. It's different than a harness. It's different than well. A when I was reading that and ha- being a guy who like uh, you know climbs climbed in the past big walls. Um, and you're hauling your haul line. And then there's that terrifying accident where some, where your haul bag somehow comes loose while it's attached to you. Oh, man. So then I was like, well, you don't really even want a full strength. Break no, you, you would want it to break. You know, Tommy, yeah, like Tommy Caldwell. It happened, when, t- it happened at TC. Exactly. Yeah. When he was on the Donwall, his haul bag cut loose. It wasn't a massive one, but it went. And, uh, yeah, he felt it. You know, he was injured and went down. Yeah. So Because, yeah, yeah you, it's like you'd want it to kind of tear away. So, yeah, I mean less than probably i mean you just you're really supposed to just, just tag the line tag in the line on it, it anyway exactly so, like, it so doesn't have to be it's a tough one because some people think that the hall loop is a belay loop in the back and uh, <laughs> and you can and you could tie in they do they think that and you could tie in uh you could tie in with it and you know repel face first and all this kind of, this kind of stuff oh right the, the, the australian style, yeah. Style, yeah, yeah but the hall loop it's called the hall loop for hauling and the belay loop's called the belay loop because you belay on it right the hall loop also uh commonly known as a place where you clip your oval carabiner in your chalk bag right um which is not ideal but we've talked about that previously yeah but you're we're, you're still working on that one right that one's going to be a big one it's coming okay yeah the why you wear a chalk bag belt or tie it on with a piece of cord there's reasons there is reasons yeah. it's not just fashion that's right yeah because i think uh i don't know cedar might have brought that up it was cedar it was yeah. cedar it was great yeah he was yeah. giving people some tips and they were they were super accurate yeah well you know um so i kind of wanted to uh have you on to sort of um just give this kind of overview of a some of the things we think about gear versus some of the things, the reality of, of gear, yeah. how it works, how long it lasts, you know, also what goes into creating a product. Yeah. Um, because I think that's sort of, uh, you know, I just actually posted something on Facebook. I was sort of harping on the fact that professional climbers don't keep their websites updated. And then, right. you know, some of the comments, well, who cares, you know, and then somebody said like, Oh, I wish it was just, just, you know, there weren't any professional climbers. And my reaction was, well, without the pros and the industry and all that, like we don't get all this sweet gear, you know, like if yeah, we're I mean, not like supporting the industry and that can include pro climbers, right. then there's no reason for you guys to go down the path to make an expensively built, you know, Camelot or, or exactly. you know, whatever company it has to be, the Grigri or the 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 anything out there you know exactly i mean all those uh from athletes to end consumers to employees to you know anyone gives feedback and the athletes are a big part of that right. of like hey 
I need this. This would be great. Can you guys do this? The athletes are great to work with because they're out climbing more than anybody usually mm-hmm. and they're really pushing the limits so it helps us push our limits too yeah and it's also been a thing where we've talked about you know the popularity of climbing and the you know the massive kind of influx of people into climbing in the last like decade yeah and you know i generally try to stay positive about that but you know inside in my own inner world i don't see i can't really think of any advantage to like crowding at the cliffs except the fact that again when there's a market then there's a reason to innovate there's a reason to make new stuff that's better but only if there's going to be people out there buying it exactly it's not like you guys are developing gear or any other companies developing gear out of the kindness of your hearts although you personally (laughs) you guys personally you know you've told me a lot of times that there's the engineering department and all you guys are climbers. And so in a lot of ways you are creating yeah. gear, but you wouldn't be allowed to create right, gear. Right. <laughs> just, just so it's you the guys customer get base that it. affords us the opportunity to be able to make this stuff. Right, Cause ultimately right. we just want to go climbing. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's just get this out of the way. I did want to, I did want to talk to you about the recalls that BD has had recently. Yeah. Um, can you just sort of give us an overview of that? Because the information got out there, I think, was disseminated pretty widely, but you know, then with all recalls like that, you kind of wonder a, what happened B or what happened to cause it, but also B what happened afterwards. Did you right. get a lot of stuff back? Did you find things that were scary? Did anybody get hurt out there with, yeah. with well, the nobody gear? got hurt. Yeah. Well, sure. what specifically were the things again? So yeah, unfortunately, uh, all these things happen really close to each other, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which way you look at it. Um, and to be honest, I can't remember the order, but we had a couple things uh, with some carabiners with missed rivets, a sling that wasn't sewn correctly, uh, via ferrata, not super popular in North America, but a via ferrata lanyard system that wasn't sewn correctly, and some cams that had some missed rivets. And all this stuff happened really close to each other. And this was back in January, early February. And the root cause, to sum it up, is basically we had too much going on. We used to make a lot of our product in China for the last... 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then we were bringing all that manufacturing back to Salt Lake City, which is a great thing, I think, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and we were basically too much, too fast. The systems that we had in China, we couldn't really uh, just box them up and slam them into Salt Lake and, and think that they would work perfectly. We had a uh, new workforce as we were expanding to bring all this manufacturing back and just really too much going on. And, and it's not ex- an excuse. It's just the reality of that's, mm-hmm. that's really what happened. Our systems weren't robust enough, the workforce, and just, and just lots happening. So what happened is we discovered some of these issues within our own walls and then basically had a like, freak out, like, oh, this is not good. You know, what are we going to do about this? So you, it, you, found, like, you found the problem. It didn't come to in from uh, the outside? Some, it, was, it, was, it was a mix, okay. yeah. So we had the first issue that came from the outside from a dealer that said, I think it was a, uh, I think it was a carabiner said, hey, I've found this carabiner. And we immediately you know, freak out. We put the whole place on lockdown. And then we started looking at what's going on and could this happen more? How did this happen at all? And then is there any more out there? And there's you know, teams assembled and you know, late night meetings and everyone kind of running around like idiots looking at this stuff. And then we, we quickly realized, okay, we're unhappy with what we found and we need to issue a recall. And while we do that, we are going to start looking at all the other systems and processes right. and lines in place. And that's where we're discovering some of this other stuff. 
Um, and then it just, it, unfortunately, it was a little bit of a snowball effect. We were like, okay, we, we could have an issue here. We could have an issue here. We could have an issue here. So we clumped them all together and said, okay, we're going to issue recalls for this. Now, recall is an interesting word. We have to use that word in North America. You know, when we issued these recalls for these carabiners, we didn't expect, we didn't want everyone to send all their carabiners back. It was really a request for inspection because looking at the stuff is relatively straightforward. So it was, the word recall is in there, but it's like, hey, if you have carabiners within this date range, have a look at it. If you have these issues, send it back and we'll get you a new one. So that's really how it all went down with all those products. And in the end of the day, the number of issues we found was really small. Like one is too many for sure. But at the end of the day, I think we got 20 carabiners returned out of 1.3 million of that date range. I think we found one or two cams internally and one returned externally, like from a customer. Mm-hmm. Um, one via Ferrata returned and one uh, index ascender returned. So the volumes were low. We don't right. know if we've caught everything yet. Sure. You, know, you know, We're still trying to get the word out there. Um, so the volumes were low, but still unacceptable. And then the result, the result of that, the resultant, I guess, of that is actually a little bit of a silver lining is to made us look a lot harder at our processes as we were still ramping Salt Lake City manufacturing back up to speed. And we've done just an enormous amount of right now, like redundant inspection. We've added all kinds of uh, additional inspection in the process. We're talking about optical systems to inspect for rivets and, and stuff like this. Uh, we've rejiggered our quality department. Uh, focus more energy on the production side downstairs. Uh, just there's been a whole list of things that we've done. Our process, our material handling, the way that we handle the material as it comes in from mm-hmm. a raw material, mm-hmm. as well as what we call whip work and process. We've just relooked at everything from head to toe uh, to avoid this from happening in the future. Of course. Oh, I had a question about the Camelots. Yeah. So what? I mean, was this? imminent time bomb failure kind of stuff no you know was it something where it was going to work loose or over time or whatever super good question so the camelot specifically uh rivets on the one side of the axles weren't formed Mm -hmm. and honestly um i'd say give it some 99 percent chance if you had a camel on your hand and actuated the trigger twice the lobe would just fall off so it's not like the it was very unlikely that you'd be mid-route place it climb past it and have an issue like it was it was very clear okay it was very clear that would be Um, terrifying (laughs) yeah and uh if you like pull it off your harness and like pull the trigger and the low and you're like whoa and then you're just like okay how many of these other ones below me (laughs) yeah exactly all right not 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 preferred (laughs) all right not preferred but yeah that one was fairly obvious uh the via ferrata was a a sewing issue Mm -hmm. that's actually not that obvious so you really have to look at that one to understand what's going on because right. it looks like it's it could look like it's complete and mm-hmm. functional and it's not. And so far, as far as you guys know, there hasn't been any like uh, accident. No, no, no accident to this. No, in terms and, of failure in the field. No, no, for sure. And if there and if there was, of course, we would hear about it. We hear about accidents that are usually pilot error with our gear. We hear about accidents that are usually pilot error with other people's gear. Right. Um, so if there was ever anything out there that happened, we would definitely hear about it. So let's talk about that. We'll just seg into that. And, uh, you know, with the accidents, you uh, again, we were sort of just chatting a couple nights ago, um, kind of in preparation for this, but it also gave us the idea to sit down and yep. do this. You were talking about how, just that, like when accidents happen, whether yep. it's with your gear, other gear, some other company's gear, um, a lot of times there is kind of this gathering of the minds to look at what happened and 
you know, you know, without like sharing trade secrets or whatever yeah. else, discuss gear possibilities, how to fix it, how to make stuff better. Can you sort of maybe give us uh, like a real world sort of example of yeah. maybe some accent we might have heard of that prompted this kind of like review and I mean almost like soul searching but in a technical level. So there's this UIA that we talked about earlier that these UIA meetings that happen once a year and where the the technical folks from these different manufacturers and technical representatives from each country get together and we talk about the standards, the UIA standards, are they up to date, should they be tweaked? Um, and one of the things we talk about is accidents. And over the years, you know, I've been going on and off to these meetings for 14 years. And, uh, so I've become friends with all of these guys at all these other companies from DMM and Metolius and, and Petzl and, uh, Camp Cassine and, and all these guys, Edelrid. So anytime there's an issue in the field, like we're, we're really all in this together. There is this truly kind of a brotherly kind of vibe and we all want to work on this together to make sure that. Climbers are out there having a good time and they're doing it safely because, you know, it's in it's in all of our best interest to make sure that climbers are out there and they're doing it safely, right? So if there's an issue, usually we'll, we'll get together and we'll talk about it and we'll go, well, was this, uh, you know, one-off or a pilot error? Or is there something that we can do as manufacturers in order to ensure this doesn't happen again? And the most recent one that comes to mind, maybe not super popular, especially in North America, though, was a Via Frada accident several years ago where um, the lanyards broke on a Via Ferrata when a climber fell, um, which is horrifying to think of just falling on a Via Ferrata. I'm not sure if you've ever done one, but it's like a metal ladder up the rock. And to, to think about falling down one of those and smacking your chin the whole way down would be heinous. Um, but there was an issue with the, the lanyard that broke. And what happened is there's these lanyards that usually have a bungee inside. And just the cyclic of the bungee and the grit and the, and, and the dirt ended up just basically weakening the structural webbing and then when the climber fell the lanyard broke so wow, this person was really into into via ferratas to like use it enough <laughs> or maybe could, it was from a guiding it could company. have been a rental i'm not oh, sure yeah, that, that would make sense yeah, like it, could, it was probably something that was getting used for the guiding because those things get guide, guided like they crazy, do but i mean anyway. but via ferrata some people are fully into it i mean it's, yeah. it's pretty fun actually yeah for sure uh, it's, it's like uh you're moving the whole time in the mountains um so this accident happened and it was uh, super crushing. Um, and then so even before the meeting started, a bunch of us started, you know, exchanging emails and talking about, okay, what is this? Why did this happen? And let's do some experiments. And everyone's got these labs. So we're all doing our own versions of experiments to try to determine what's going on. And it's very collegial. And we're trying to figure out, does the standard cover this kind of thing? Like, did we, did something happen that wasn't really covered in the standard that should we tweak the standard and improve it to ensure that future products come out will that this won't happen again and that's exactly what happened with this with this via ferrata situation and the standard is actually still being tweaked it's not actually published yet the new standard mm -hmm. but we determined that the, the cyclic wear of the lanyards is an issue depending on the way the construction of the lanyard and the grit and all this kind of stuff so a bunch of us we all like donate gear and uh to each other and to test everybody's on different test machines that we just create. And then we say, okay, we believe that in order to make a, a safe via Frada in the future, it should meet X number of cycles at whatever load and all this kind of stuff. And then we all basically pitch it to the UIAA and say, we think the standard needs to be updated. And mm -hmm. then it goes through a bunch of cycles and, and reviews and reviews. And then it ends up becoming a published standard. Well, it's interesting that like, uh, you know, this all, all that op operation costs, 
all these companies money. Yeah. You know, because you're not, you're being paid to do all these sorts of things. So I, it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, it's not just like the manufacturer of that particular lanyards problem. And you guys back off and say, well, you got to fix your scene over there, folks. No, I mean, I'm sure there's some cases where it's a little bit of that, you know, you kind of like, whoa, dude, that's a bummer, but you're on your own or like, good luck fixing that situation. Mm -hmm. But in a situation, in something like this, it's again, to repeat myself, it's in everybody's best interest to make sure that we make good gear out there. Right. Right. So we're really just trying to up the bar Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so that's what happens. And it happens, I don't want to say accidents happen all the time, but this kind of stuff, these kind of discussions happen often. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all friends, all of us, and, and we meet at, all, at these trade shows every year in Germany and in here. And we just, we just talk ca- sometimes casually about this kind of stuff and then sometimes sit down officially and have working groups and, and put some, some math and some science and some money behind this stuff to figure out what's the best way to go. Right. Yeah. So what other kind of uh, gear failure issues can you sort of point to in terms of like maybe even educating us on using it wrong in terms of not gear failure in terms of manufacturer problem or whatever but gear failure in terms of misuse that's somewhat common yeah so um we actually don't see a lot of manufacturing issues out in the field like uh almost everything that i've ever seen that's been an accident or a near accident mm-hmm. in the field has been some kind of pilot error right thank god um, for lawyers <laughs> yeah exactly well no i've i've always thought about that because obviously like liability in the u.s and like people suing each other is a huge problem at times right but i'm always like well you know what keeps these manufacturers like on the straight on the toes man yeah that they could get the whole thing pulled out from underneath them, you know, that's, somewhat like what happened. To that's Shinar. how black diamond started. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So the lawyers are keeping us safe in that sense. Yeah, even exactly. A little bit of fear. Yeah. It's always good to keep, keep you guys working on this stuff. So, but I see, uh, I see, I personally see every piece of broken climbing gear or hear about every accident involving, especially BD gear and sometimes other people's gear for sure. The number one thing that happens is, um, uh, carabiners breaking in the field. And almost every single time, it's what we call nose hook. Uh, so it's not a key lock type carabiner. It's one with the nose hook on it. And if it gets hung up on a cam sling or a bolt hanger is really common or a stopper wire, the load that it takes to break a carabiner when it's hung up like that is like nothing. Body, you know, twice body weight, you can just bounce and it's going to snap. And it's, it's I don't want to say fairly common, but I probably see at least one a year, sometimes two or three a year of that issue. And it's really easy to determine because it breaks in a different way than any other carabiner that's broken. I mean, at Black Diamond, the quality guys, the testing guys, we break a lot of gear during the development and during the production cycle. So we know how stuff breaks. Mm -hmm. So when you see something in the field and somebody sends an email and and they're just letting us know, or maybe they're choked and uh, they want to sue or whatever, and they send a photo, hey, I broke, and I, all right, this beaner broke, and I'm not happy about it. We can just even look at a photo or the part and just go, oh, well, this is likely what happened. And you explain it calmly to them, and you go, is this possible? And then usually, you know, 99 times out of 100, they're like, oh, yeah, that's probably what happened, and they're cool with it. Um, and I wrote a QC Lab article about that one because it is fairly common about, mm-hmm. the, about the nose hook one. Right. So that's the one for sure that you hear the most. And webbing, too, um, you know, webbing doesn't last forever nylon and dyneema abrasion is really hard on you know especially fixed draws um you know blowing in the wind sharp limestone or granite edge just tweaking away all the all the little structural fibers and then you'll hear people you know climbing on some route at the brg the draws have been hanging for 
12 years and then take a big whipper and a draw snaps and you know luckily the next one catches them or whatever mm-hmm. and that's usually what happens right yeah uh anything else that comes to mind uh, i mean those are definitely the main ones uh sharp edges uh you don't hear about it you you fear that a lot a sharp edge carabiner because a lot of the time um on fixed draws especially usually the first bolt or the crux bolt the rope will wear a groove into a carabiner and make a really sharp edge depending on the geometry of the the carabiner the the edge can be you know different sharpnesses and that one um for a long time i hadn't heard of any accidents and in the last couple years i've heard of at least one rope getting cut um at the red where the climber fell i think broke his leg if i recall there was one rope that got cut by a sharp edge beaner at a gym i think in north america and then there was a fatality in europe i think a mountain guide up on a multi-pitch route where the rope was pinched between a sharp edge beaner and the rock and right. the rope cut and he died. Yeah. Well, I, I was also interested to, I read something and, and you probably saw this as well, but that like the counterintuitive thing about it is that oftentimes it's actually not like the crux draw. That's the worst because the way the rope runs across the draws below there as it's being pulled through, like sharpens them in a way that falling directly on it kind of creates a round edge. It's definitely the not thing. the fall. It's right. definitely not the fall that's making it sharp. It's right. it's the lowering and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You'll see it on the first bolt for sure. Yeah, because of the way the pe- rope runs through Well, there. most people stand too far back from the wall. Sure. So then it goes at some crazy angle. So that one's popular. Often if the bolt line isn't very straight, if there's one that's off to the side, that bolt will be the one when you're lowering. You can you can see it like you know, right. it's bouncing around, and that's the one that's going to get really sharp. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you know, fixed draws, it's kind of calmed down, um, but there's a, there's been a lot of pushback against fixed draws in general, and then the solution to these sharpening draws steel beaners. were the steel beaners. Yeah. But like even in in rifle now, like. The steel beaners last longer, yeah. but they also are getting sharp. They, they still just, get sharp. It just like takes you know ten times as long. Yeah, um, but I'm, with the kind of volume of climbers on some of the warm ups, they they're starting to wear in a you know a couple years themselves. Yeah, and yeah. then you go to places like you know the red. I've you know was one of the places you just said there was an accident, yeah. and people are talking about some of these draws being on these routes for fifteen years. Oh yeah, you know. Um, like Bill Ramsey said, he was appalled to find out that the draws he put on the roots when he put them up were still there, yeah. you know, but yeah, it's, I think there's a little bit of laziness and, and a little bit of like, Oh, it's somebody else's problem to deal with change. Well, it's out, only somebody so. else's problem until you're the one on the route. Right. And yeah. then it's become your problem to deal yeah. with. So yeah, I mean, there's been roots at the VRG recently, all the, all the VRG roots were rebolted and, and new draws, which is nice. But there was, there was draws up on that thing from like the original, like Boone's Beat era, you know, right. um, <laughs> scary, scary stuff for sure. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, it's every climber is kind of takes their own life in their own hands and they need to be responsible and look at what's going on. And if you're not psyched with what you're climbing on, you know, either back down, replace it yourself or, you know, just get out of there. I mean, cause gear doesn't last forever. And the fix, the fixed draw thing, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because it is really nice to go up there and I, I'm going to give this route a run. Oh, I'm just going to bail yeah, or warm up or whatever. But you, you can't really trust everything that's out there. You got to be a little aware for sure. Yeah. And, and I think even I've heard, you know, people sh- core shotting their ropes, just taking, you know, and not even necessarily falling. And yeah. I don't know maybe what happened with the, with the actual, accidents whether it was a yeah, fall not, or I'm not sure yeah and you know because you're like oh take on this bolt that's not even the crux because i'm like a little pumped or whatever right 
And um, I've definitely heard of my even associates, you know, suddenly getting a core shot. Oh, I think we may be talking about the same associate here at Maple, at least anyway, a core shot. And I mean, that's a heart stopper when all of a sudden you see the the big white core there. Well, and also knowing our associates, that rope probably wasn't in the best shape (laughs) either. And some of our associates are a little bigger than others. Yeah, it's it's surprising how people who can get free ropes still like climb on horribly shitty ropes but yeah yeah it's just it's just in your in your dna to not it's, throw away gear it's right it's the dirtbag climber which brings us to one of your personal kind of like uh uh educational what's the word i'm looking for your your sort of like public education yeah. points which is of course that gear does not last forever it, it doesn't last forever and it's a really it's a really tough thing to try to convey um I kind of, there's almost, it's almost like a two-pronged fork. You have these new climbers that maybe don't really understand climbing gear that well. Um, you know, when you and I started climbing back in the day, we would go out climbing with some friends or maybe a mentor. And if you came home from the weekend and lived, it was a success. That's how, that's how it worked. And we, you know, read books and figured it out. The young climbers of today, they're, you know, going to the gym and three weeks later, they're climbing 513. And then they take that outside and they don't have all that background that you know, us old timers kind of have. Um, so I've been trying to just educate people in my own way on these QC labs and I give talks and stuff like this, just about gear doesn't last forever. Gear today is very different than gear from 20 years ago. It's generally lighter for sure. Crampons, carabiners, anything. They're like half the weight as they were 20 years ago. You have these older school climbers that are used to gear lasting longer because it was twice as heavy and twice as burly. Hey, my beaners used to last a long time. I had these crampons for 20 years. Now my crampons are only lasting a couple seasons of tromping around on rocks and climbing ice. And then they're all worn out or they break. And it's like, they're half the weight, like half the weight on your feet. So it's just trying to educate these people that yes, the gear is robust and it goes through all kinds of testing, uh, field testing and lab testing and production testing and all this stuff before it gets to the field. And it is robust and most most climbing situations, the loads never even get high enough to break gear, you know, at an at a impact kind of thing. But as far as durability, generally gear is lighter than it was years ago, and it's just not going to last as long. Even, I mean, we're talking about climbing gear. Trekking poles are a great example. At Black Diamond, we have heavier aluminum thick wall trekking poles that are super burly for the guy with the 90-pound pack tromping around in the Adirondacks. And we have these super lightweight carbon fiber little twig poles and they weigh nothing and they're amazing, but they're just, it's not the same beast and they're just not going to take the abuse that the big aluminum pole does. Yeah. And it's probably a bummer because you, uh, you know, you pay all that money for one and you're really, like, expect it to last forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. You can like break them on a, on your knee or whatever. Exactly. But yeah. climbers are a different bunch. You know, it's weird. The, the mentality, because if you look at, uh, I'm not a road biker by any means, but I know a bunch of guys. And if you look at that, people are okay with buying this carbon fiber, crazy expensive road bike and you slam it into a wall and the fork breaks or whatever. And that's understood that that's going to happen. Whereas an old aluminum bike, that probably wouldn't have happened. Whereas with climbing gear, the the same person, same thing. They're just like, Oh, what the hell? My trekking pole broke when I just tripped on it or whatever. And it's like, ah, it's, it's different. Yeah. Well, I think the, 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 uh, the demographic probably, you know, is a little bit different in terms of willingness to spend money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, and that's just true. And that's just part of no, for sure. the climbing ethos, the dirtbag ethos, the whole thing is like, you know, you, you don't want to spend money. And so like, 
you 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 know you wrap off of a single number four nut right because that other nut i need costs it. like seven bucks <laughs> exactly like, so i'm gonna risk my life yeah because uh i need to save this seven, seven or eight or nine dollar nut yeah that uh anyway yeah so i mean i've always been i mean i was that guy and then you get older and you and you have income and you yeah. sort of start to but it's still there it's even still there. when i have income it's still there all the climbers are the same yeah. i mean i get that kind of question a lot people i dropped a beaner from the top of this route or i dropped uh, my rack off the top of el cap is it still good <laughs> like i get that all the time you dropped their rack uh, i get that haul bags plummeting from el cap uh, yeah, and then right. they find the stuff and and it's really tough, you know, because generally, if something were to fall from, from LCAP, because I've tested some stuff, and if it's functional, if it looks functional, if the action's good on a cam, all that kind of stuff, then it's probably okay. You know, if it looks like a cam and smells like a cam, it's probably a cam and it's probably okay. But if the lobes are bent and the trigger wires are whacked and the axles are all out of cattywampus, then you probably don't want to use it anymore. Right. I mean, because I need all the help I can. And the last thing I want to think about when I'm like 20 feet above my last piece is, oh, oh man, is that the one... That I dropped off El Cap below right. me, you know? Right. Yeah, between me and the ground or <laughs> right, whatever. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so, totally, yeah. yeah. Well, I know, it's funny because it's just, it's, like I said, even even as I've preached that very same thing, yeah. like, for me to go back through my rack and chuck, like, a few cams it's that hard. I've had for 20 years or well, stop using Well, they're all sentimental, them. right? Yeah. Oh, I did yeah. this route with right. this, and yeah. Well, then also I bust them off. It's like, oh, those are for the Indian Creek rack. Right. And then you're like, you climb up to the cliff and you're like, I'm not using that. Thing. Like that's the last cam I want to use. Or right. Maybe put it 10 feet off the ground when it's still like five, eight before you get anywhere. Exactly. But as soon as you're starting to think about that, then you're just like, well, shit, maybe it's time to not use this cam. Yeah. It's mean, like blown out, like white sling on. Oh it from- yeah. Yeah. Please don't in the back of your head. If you're unsure, then it's, it's probably best to, to retire and get something new. Yeah. Golden rule. Golden rule. Yeah. So you kind of wanted to talk a little bit about gear development. Um, yeah. And sort of give us, an idea uh, what it takes to bring something from concept to market. Yeah. And uh, and I think that is actually, I've always kind of been interested, especially after I did the tour yeah. um, and met some of the guys and, yeah. uh, or not met them, but saw them toiling away. Yeah. And uh, you know, that idea that a, a climber, cause these guys are climbers or they're skiers or whatever they're, yeah. they're working on, like comes up with this idea in yeah. his head or her head. And then suddenly you know, they're like, okay, well now I have to design it and bring it to somebody to say, I mean, so tell us about that. Like what concept to to like on the shelf. So the way, the way it works is, uh, my job as the category director of climbing at BD is like, I'm like a funnel. I'm a human funnel. So I get all of these (laughs) inputs from friends, athletes, and consumers ideas. My, I have myself, I get all of these inputs in and then they funnel down and then I have to look at, okay, is it a viable product to make? And I look at a business case and how long is it going to take to make it? And it's basically a pretty simple business calculation is what's the effort in? Can we sell this thing? And then I have to pitch it around. And then that it doesn't g- sound simple at all. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, the foundation of it's simple. The right. actual doing it is a little more challenging. Um, and then you pitch it around. You get, uh, if it gets approved, okay, we're going to work on this, this product, this project. Okay, check. So then my job is to write a brief a detailed brief, what does this product need to be? What's it need to weigh? What's it going to cost? Uh, you know, all these, all these kind of things, retail prices and all this stuff. What's the market? How big's the market? All this sort of stuff. And then it gets handed to the designers and the designers, a bunch of climbers and skiers, they're like, okay, we're going to make this new harness or this new ice tool or whatever it may be. 
And the first phase is a concept phase because we just have the rough idea of what it needs to be. And then these guys are going to start using their ingenuity and new manufacturing processes and technologies and stuff that they've been learning over the years and come up with some ideas. Can we make a nice tool out of plastic? Can we, you know, like whatever, whatever it comes down to. And we'll go through a concept phase and then we'll narrow down the concepts. It looks like this is viable. And this is all on a fairly structured timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it goes through the design phase. Okay, we have a concept. Let's start designing it. And we'll start getting right down to the nitty gritty. These guys doing the 3D modeling. We're going to make rapid prototypes so we can play with these things in our hands. You know, is this going to work together? Is it going to fit together? Is it manufacturable? There's the design guys on the team. There's the industrial design guys on the team that make things look great. There's a quality engineers that do all the testing and, and manufacturing guys on the team as well as supply chain guys that have to figure out where we get all these components from. So from concept, design, lots of testing. So we'll get to the place where we're feeling pretty good about it. We'll maybe hand machine some custom prototypes. So a carabiner, for example, anytime we make a carabiner, the first couple we make costs, you know, like 500 bucks each because they're hand machined out of an aluminum block just to play with and make sure they feel good and, they, and then we'll climb on them and feel good about it. Lots of lab testing, lots of field testing, lots of iterate, 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 back to the drawing board, iterate, iterate. And then it gets to the point where, okay, we feel pretty good about this thing. We've done a lot of testing, a lot of field testing. Let's make a a pilot run. And then it goes to basically sales sample phase where it's, okay, we're going to show this, show it to our sales reps, show it at the trade shows, whether it's the winter or the summer trade show, and then go into production. And that whole process, depending on the project, is... You know, 18 months, give or take, from concept from when you start it to when you're actually making it. There's just a lot that goes into it. And then when it, when it goes into production, then there's all kinds of testing that goes into every product. I'm mainly talking about PPE, personal protective equipment here, climbing gear. Um, once it goes into production, the, the quality guys on the production floor, they have to decide, okay, what testing do, do we want to do in, through the entire process to ensure that the product that comes out the end is what we want it to be from raw material testing, work and process testing and finished goods batch testing where we go through all that. And then out the end, poof, it goes to the DC and then it's in your store shelves. And it's a huge, there's a lot of effort that goes into it. And uh, I remember years ago, I brought my mom through Black Diamond and she's not a climber, not an engineer, knows nothing about manufacturing, showed her the whole process and her eyes just lit up and she was like, wow, I th- I thought you'd just like call the carabiner store if you needed more carabiners. And I'm like, we are the carabiner store. Somebody needs to make this stuff. Right, right. You know, and there's a, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that goes into it. And anytime I, I show somebody around, their their mind is fairly blown apart with how much work goes into creating a piece of climbing gear mm-hmm. from the concept and the design, all the testing. The testing is actually really cool, but it's also sad because you're just breaking tons of what appears to be perfectly good cams. And you're just breaking them and breaking them in the machine and testing them and bottoming crack and you're freezing them and upside down. You're just figuring out all this stuff. Like what are climbers going to do with this stuff? How we, how can we design around it or how can we warn against it? Or what do we need to do in order to ensure that these things are going to work in all the situations that we know that people are going to put them in? Right. Yeah. So like you freeze the gear cause yeah. just to see if it affects the metal or. Yeah, I mean, usually it doesn't affect the metal, right. but if there's, you know, plastics or or webbings or, oh, sure. or whatever, because we know, you know, a lot of this gear is getting used in the Alpine, sure. of course, so we want to understand how it works. And if you, a great example is a helmet. A helmet has plastic, it has foam, depending on how the foam is adhered to the helmet. If we have a thermal shock chamber where we'll basically, we'll freeze it to represent it being in the belly of an airplane, say, at minus 50 Celsius or whatever it is, and then ah. blast it up to 
you know, up to 40 Celsius, let's say you land in Phoenix and then thermal expansion of different materials is different. And then you don't want something to like, and you know, come loose. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff. Even if we're fairly sure that we know it doesn't matter, we're going to do it anyway, just, just to, just to be sure. Man, that's pretty, I, you know, I started trying to predict all the different things that could happen. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have these books that we, I mean, I would have never gone. Okay. They're on Everest or they're on, you know, up at rarefied air, but the airplane to Phoenix thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have these books of these test, you know, protocols, regimes that we've created over the years. There's the basic testing that product needs to meet. And to be honest, it's fairly clear and fairly simple. Carabiners has a handful of tests, closed gate, open gate, minor access, you know, this kind of stuff. But we know that there's way more things that climbers are doing with this stuff. So we're just going to put it through the ringer. Carabiner, for example, there's not one test in the actual requirement that involves a rope. Right. And climbers use ropes. So we do, we have a drop tower. We do drop tests. We do like super gnarly factor two drop tests on, you know, all kinds of different things, uh, just to try to understand this thing, uh, any product that we're working on as as well as we can. And like I say, we try to design around it if we determine that it's an issue or we'll warn against it in the instructions. And we actually spend a lot of time on the instructions. It's kind of painful because we know nobody reads them or not many people. <laughs> I've had the odd person email me saying, hey, in your instructions, I noticed this. And I'm like, wow, this you read be, it. That's there great. There needs to be a comma. You guys missed a comma here. Yeah. I'm yeah. Just, in this, yeah. And the dude, like. Yeah, the grammar's not right. The guy has a massive headache, too, from reading, like, the tiniest print on the planet. <laughs> well, we've, we've switched in the last several years to way more uh, illustrations. So there's not so much text. Right. Um, but yeah, it is great when people actually read the instructions, but a lot of effort goes into that. You know, that's how Black Diamond was formed when Chenard went under. This is way back in the day, and it was failure to warn. That was the that was the end result of the lawsuit uh, in, I think it was 89, uh, was failure to warn. So we spent a lot of effort, and all the companies do, you right. know, uh, looking at instructions and going, okay, what do you have to be careful about when you're using this? It's not so much how to use the product. It's in there too, but it's really about what to watch for, how to, you know, how to inspect it. Um, how to store it, all that kind. There's all that stuff in the instructions that you've probably never looked at. Uh, not really, yeah. no, because it's <laughs> it's funny because my girlfriend's a lawyer, and uh, and whenever these issues uh, come up, I you know I sort of condescendingly call I call it her people. Like, yeah, that's yeah. because of your people. Yeah, <laughs> because she actually complained to me like, why did why does you know you buy a carabiner and it's got that like oh yeah it's got a brick on it yeah and she's like this seems so wasteful why do they put this on there I was 27 like, languages twenty seven well, languages of your people yeah. you you your people made a got rich forcing these companies to like do all this sort of stuff so yeah we've we've tried to, uh, back to the UIA thing we, we've we've tried to talk about that because it is kind of wasteful there's a lot of there's a lot of information there's a lot of paper mm-hmm. I mean we sell a lot of carabiners and each carabiner has one of those instruction booklets we've tried to figure out ways is there can we just do it online or electronically mm-hmm. or something uh, because it's it's your girlfriend's people yeah I know yeah. but yeah I'm sure they're like yeah it has it's like a subpoena it has to like pass through your hand at least yeah yeah you know exactly. like because you do have to like fight it off of the carabiner yeah, yeah so i guess a case could be made that like the person touched it it was on there they should have read it yeah you know? well if they had to like go to a website later that would be i think probably too much distance for the lawyers to handle and the argument is not everyone has a computer right that's true yeah you know? yeah so yeah. those illiterate climbers out there are hosed but so we, we on do, your own we do spend a lot of time on that instruction so if you're bored one day sitting in your van in the rain, just have a look. Have a look. Yeah. And if you read what 
with like a, what's a crazy language that's on there. yeah there's all kinds of, 26 or 27 i forget okay. now there's lots of languages yeah, on there lots of languages lots of pretty pictures though too what were some of the qcs that you thought of well we talked about the nose hook one okay. there's you know i get these i get these qc lab ideas either i create them in my brain some of the qa guys you know figure them out i get questions i get quite a few questions from climbers or from employees about hey have you thought about this hey have you tested this you know mm-hmm. kelly cordes emailed me a while ago and i i think it's maybe the last one that i posted about triaxle loading and stuff like that mm-hmm. um people just curious about things uh jt who works at black diamond he was like always i always wondered if when i do a long rappel my belay device is really hot and will it if it touches my sling that i'm tethered to the next anchor at wrapping off the multi-pitch will it melt the sling Oh yeah, you know? that's actually uh, a damn good question. It's a good question. Yeah, did uh, you guys do that one? Yet? Yeah, we did. Oh, yeah, it's oh. on. It's on there. You should read it. I thought I saw. Yeah, actually, I saw you had like a um a, a hair dryer or a heat gun. Yeah, I was heat gonna gun. say a hair. Looks dryer. like a hair dryer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a heat gun, and uh, so we went out. We do a bunch of different things. All these QC labs are really loose and really off the cuff. They're not a super PhD level scientific study of any sort at all. Um, it's just. The goal is to try to get some little nuggets of information and get them out to climbers uh, to educate them a little bit and at least make them aware and think of it. So in JT's case, we we went out to a local cliff and we were doing a bunch of wraps and then hitting it with a heat gun to see how hot it got. And we even, uh, I think we have a little video online if I remember, we were wrapping it and we had a fishing rod and then we would bring the blade device back up really quick and then wrap again. So we were wrapping to see how hot we could get it with multiple wraps really fast. Cause we didn't do, we didn't want to set up fixed line on some like 10 pitch route right. and wrap the whole thing. And then of course have it fail and like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we did that. We got some temperatures. We cooked some slings in the oven. We cooked some ATCs in the oven and then we did a bunch of tension tests where we'd put the, the sling under tension and then push it again, push a hot ATC device against the sling to see if we could get it to melt. The end result, I haven't read that one in a long time. The end result was, you know, you're probably okay. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, but that's a that's a good question. Can I use a Sharpie to mark the middle of my rope? Oh, that's, right. That's a common one. Um, and unfortunately, a lot, a lot of these answers are kind of like, well, maybe. Yeah, um, right. Because you don't exactly know what's in a Sharpie because there's no like real regulations of what chemicals are in there. Any testing that I've done in the lab has shown that there's basically no difference Years ago, the UIA did some testing on middle markers, Sharpies on the middle, and they said, if you fall on the middle, like over a super sharp edge, you know, it reduces the number of falls from, you know, like, I forget what it was, from X to Y, eight to four or whatever it was like that. And you're like, okay, the next time I take a 150 footer onto a razor blade edge on the middle marker, I'll, I'll know to be afraid of that, you know. Right. Uh, it yeah. doesn't happen that often. Yeah. So uh, companies do sell middle mark middle markers that they that they make that's that so they, they control exactly right. so that's what I would, sharpie's not going to tell you what's in that damn exactly thing because it's like it's just they're like we own the marker market <laughs> exactly not telling you what's in here because our markers are like they're a billion times better than everybody else exactly yeah. so i would just recommend i mean you're probably, probably okay like the but blood i would just of like i just recommend probably like the blood of like children in there and that's like, <laughs> they don't want to tell you there's like some place there's some volcano somewhere where they're like <laughs> maybe some sacrificing to the sharpie gods because they sure do work well yeah um I, you you kind of asked me like before we before we got into this like don't hit me with like random questions because you wanted to like ha- you didn't want to give us bad information because right. you're trying to remember it right uh too bad i have I, i'm hit thinking me. of things i'll make stuff up i'm thinking a thing well i mean you you reasonably have a concern that 
you know, this podcast is going to go out there and you don't want to give bad information. So right. I understand that. So if you, you know, just back off if I hit I'll you I'll do my something. best. Usually what we were talking about earlier is usually when people want to ask me a very technical question, I ask them to write it to me so that I can think about it and actually get real information instead of just off the cuff. Oh, it's probably... 6kn or whatever right okay well i'm not going to ask you about you can about that but let me this is like uh i think this is a a thing that's been in climbing forever and maybe some people already got it figured out and and don't want to hear about it again but you know there's the forward button on the on the thing but the fall factor yeah and the fall rating of a rope can we yeah. just like clear that shit up for everybody <laughs> once and for all because so, it's super yeah. common your 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 rope says it takes nine falls yeah or ten or well whatever it happens. i don't even remember anymore it's I don't somewhere in there yeah but most climbers beginner people have this moment where they're like well does that mean i can only fall right. this many and then what happens right you know like right. and Obviously, with experience, you realize you can fall like hundreds of times yeah, on your rope without dying. Anyway, so what does it mean? Help so, us out. So Get that's a good there. question. So a slight disclaimer, you know, we are not a uh, manufacturer of ropes, so I'm no, by no means a rope expert, but I, I know enough about climbing ropes, and I actually am good friends with a bunch of the rope guys. So, and you break ropes. We do break ropes. Um, so the way... I'm going to back up for a quick second, but these standards, the reason these standards are the way they are, part of like science is testing needs to be repeatable. So when I said earlier that carabiner testing, there's no tests that even have a rope involved, it's because if you start adding a rope into a carabiner test, that's another factor. So it's not as repeatable. So tests have to be designed to be repeatable. When it comes to the rope and the fall factor rating, it's really a repeatable test in order to just benchmark one rope from the other. The reality, it doesn't have a lot to do with reality. Um, it's a fall factor 1.78, if I remember, which is a pretty burly fall factor. Not quite a fall factor 2 where you're twice the height from your last piece of gear, but it's a, it's a pretty serious fall factor. And it's on a fairly short piece of rope. And I think most climbers know that the rope is, it's the bungee cord in the system. So the more rope you have out, the less the impact forces are. So okay, so hold on, hold on. Yeah. Because we, uh, we already like... It took me like 10 years of my climbing career to to get the factor thing. Okay. Um, so let me just, it's a little bit of math. Okay. Right? Oh, boy. Can you do it? I'll do it in my head. I'll try. Well, so the, so yeah. here's, here's the deal. If you, if you climb 10 meters above, let's, let's do it from a belay. Okay. Because that's, that's, the, that's the way you fall right, factor right. too. Let's say you, you leave a belay and you get no gear in and you climb 10 feet up and you fall. You're going to fall the 10 feet that you're above the belay plus another 10 feet. That's 20 feet. Before the rope even starts to begin. Right. Because, again, you just said it's not reality. Reality is different. The reality is is then the rope starts to stretch and you actually literally will fall further. Right. But, yeah, right. but in terms of like but free the fall falling, factor yeah. in okay. that case, that's a fall factor too. That's the worst you can be. You can okay. to fall fast past so you, your belay. You, the math is the math is fall, falling twice as far as the amount, the amount of, rope of rope you, you have, have out. out. Exactly. Okay. So that's what fall factor means is how far you fell over how much rope you have out. So a fall factor two is the worst case and you never want to do that. You always want to try to get some And it's pretty much, I mean, unless we racked our brains for like some really weird situation um, that's probably happening on the speed of sense of the nose or something, but you essentially can, in a reality, you can only fall factor two onto the belay in, in right in a in a climbing situation right because right. if you have a piece of gear at 
if you're out 10 feet and you have a piece of gear at five feet, you've only fallen 10 feet. Exactly. Because you're five feet above, you fall five feet below, so and then you, it's a factor one. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's so, an English major. Yeah, that's not bad. doing that. <laughs> so so a, fa- a fall factor, 1.78, 1.77, whatever it is, that's the test. Where that number came from, to be honest, I'm not sure. There's a short amount of rope that's out. So again, back to the repeatability. It's a short amount of rope in a drop tower at a fall factor 1.78 over a specified radius, which is a fairly sharp edge. Um, and you just drop the, a mass, an 80 kilogram mass. That's what's been decided on. And it's a steel mass. It's not gelatin like the body. So it doesn't ex- absorb anything. And 2.2 it's, pounds per kg. Yes. Okay. hundred and so is that 8176? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and the belay, it's basically tied off. Pretty standard climbing physique. For it's a not man. Bad. Yeah. For a yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Uh, and the belay, it's a fairly, it's a fixed, it's basically knotted for argument's sake, the rope. So it's a fairly harsh fall. So fall factor 1.78 with the edge over a, over a steel edge with the rope over a steel edge, 80 pound, 80 kilogram steel mass. I mean, that's a burly, burly fall, but it's repeatable. And so that's, what's been around forever. And what the fall factor of a rope means when it's seven or eight is how many times can a piece of rope take that fall and you're not adjusting the knot or anything it's falling on the same spot of the rope until it breaks so does a fall factor nine rope does that does that take more falls than one that's rated at six sure it does does that mean anything to most climbers out in the field yeah i mean it's a little more maybe durable but as far as the reality of is your rope going to break when you fall on it no i mean that's the i mean you see that fall in in real life and you're like holy Jeez, yeah, yeah you're not like just like you're going yourself. home yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're over the, yeah and i was gonna say if you are taking nine factor two factor 1.78 <laughs> falls on your rope and you weigh 175 pounds like you're either like in the hospital oh, yeah. already or Kidneys but also you're you need to back. talk to someone about how to climb yeah because yeah. you you're doing yeah. something really wrong yeah like the basic system does not make sense to you exactly or you ought to get off that route if it's got exactly that horrible crux 10 feet off the yeah. belay and you just keep taking it. no that's a brilliant and your belayers hurt as well yeah he's getting slammed into the wall or she's it. getting slammed into they're the wall. hating it yeah, yeah so. so that's what that's what it means it's a repeatable test that just allows ropes to be compared to each other and it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with reality out in the field. But it is a valid question. And you could see how someone uh, new to climbing is like, oh, does this mean I can only fall nine times on it? Uh, it doesn't mean that. It's just a relative scale of how, I'm not sure if I should say the word durable, but just comparative from one rope to the next. Yeah, if your climbing buddy's like dropping, getting rid of his ropes at nine falls, you're, yeah, sweet. you're stoked. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like sneaking into his garbage. Exactly. <laughs> I'll do every that one. Nine <laughs> falls. That's gear. just like a morning session for yeah, me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and that that's the thing is like if you're climbing in the gym or whatever, and especially gyms that issue ropes, you're just like, well, God damn. I mean, yeah. these things are taking super, super damage. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's cool. Thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um. Is there like a, a really weird Oh, there's a really weird one. Or a test or issue that's like come up? Oh, there's a really weird QC lab that we did. Okay. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, I wish I'd read it uh, prior to talking to you because I'll just have to go from memory. But we had a... I know, you warned me. That's okay. I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. That's okay. No, we had a, uh, a harness come back. A guy sent us a harness that was uh, basically falling apart. Um. 
the all the webbing was coming it, it was crazy it was falling apart it was the the threads were pink it was just a disaster like something was wrong like there's no way it left you know any manufacturing facility looking like that so he sent us this harness and then we had one of our crack qa guys look at it and we quickly determined that it was being it's had some corn some form of contamination for sure some kind of acid or something got into this harness so i was back and forth with the owner of this harness this young kid from uh somewhere in california if i remember correctly oakland i think and uh hey we were like hey what's the you know give me the history of this harness what where do you store it how much have you used it you know i've been using it for years uh it's always in a bag in the back of my car i go to the gym only and then just one day this just happened and we get that a lot like oh this just happened um and it, <laughs> and it would be nice if people really told exactly what happened because it just helps us understand better when you're trying to like you know decipher this puzzle um csi we call it like climbing scene investigation right we're trying to like figure this out no, my friends the, in the ski podcast I do. Yeah, that's actually one of their beefs too. Oh, I was just skiing along. I was just skiing along, oh, and, and, then then my, and then the side of my edge just flew off my ski. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't happen like that. So this this acid harness uh, thing, we we ended up getting a bunch of chemicals, like standard household chemicals, cleaning chemicals, all this kind of stuff, because uh, we thought maybe this guy, you know, grocery shopping or in the back of his car or whatever, and we we played with all these chemicals on nylons and we really we couldn't really figure it out i mean the end of the story actually is a little disappointing because we never really nailed down what the issue was he he said he didn't know what happened to it it was only in the back of his car we thought it could be acid from a battery it appeared that it wasn't that um i forget whether it was hydrochloric or sulfuric acid um that we we got some from uh, the university here in utah and we played with it and we discovered that if you put a certain acid onto the certain type of thread whether it was nylon or polyester i can't remember it turned it pink and that's what all the thread of his harness ended up turning pink so we determined it was some kind of acid that he he had got on his harness somehow and caused it to all basically disintegrate it was really weird really interesting um and uh, so ultimately, we never really figured out what the issue was. But then several months later, another kid emailed and said, hey, I have my harness. It's all turning pink. The threads are turning pink and it's falling apart. And it, I, he said, I know it's my fault because I didn't like the look of it. So I got some markers and spray paint and I like graffitied it out. And then now it's all falling apart. And I saw your write-up on the BD website. And I think it's the same thing. I think that's, I think it's the same deal. And we're like, yeah, dude, like don't draw with markers and spray paint your climbing gear, right. you know? And that's why on the, on the instructions for everything we say, you know, don't modify your gear and stuff like that. It's, so it was really, it was really interesting. It was just a good reminder, basically, you know, don't get a bunch of spray paint and start spray painting all your nylon goods. Yeah. <laughs> In case you weren't sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause it's just like some people have this, you know, very, there's like a whole spectrum of attitudes towards climbing and you know, you have this, the group and I think like of my era where there's this real reverence for the, the danger and, and, and the, the risk. Yeah. And I think maybe a criticism is in fact, like that that's sort of being pulled out of climbing because the introduction in the gyms and stuff and like, right. You know, like you just said, like you, if you draw, if you find that cam at the base of El Cap, like, you know, you, it's going to be in the back of your mind. Like, is that sure. thing okay? But, you know, yeah, like that would never have occurred to me to spray paint my, my, uh, heart. Like the thing that's going to keep me alive. Yeah. Right. 
you know, it's the, I mean, there's nothing between the harness breaking and you. No, it's the real deal. Yeah, yeah. Like the rope and, you know, gear can fail and you catch on the next gear, but the rope and the harness, like that's it. That's the real deal. Yeah. yeah. And the belay. And I mean, and gear, like I said earlier, gear is robust and it can last a long time. Of course, it depends how much you use it. It depends how you use it. It depends how you care for it. Right. So your average weekend climber, you can have a harness that can last three, four, five, seven years. Right. But a guy like you or me that's climbing all the time, you're burning through harnesses because the the rope tie-in points getting all worn or you're chimneying up stuff and you're just grinding through things or the, the, the buckles start wearing as you're like slithering up these offwoods or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, it's, you got to take care of your gear. I mean, this gear is really burly and it's really put through the paces, but it isn't going to last forever and you do have to take care of it. So when young buddy is spray painting up his harness and then all of a sudden sees all the threads melting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like sorry come on hopefully hopefully you're, we're not making too much fun of you buddy if you're listening but uh yeah don't spray paint your stuff and well, it's a good uh, lesson it, well mean, it's, it's a, also it's, again i i still have to go back and 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 you know i have the feelings for the dirt bags because i mean our our compatriot jt has you know, I, I can get harnesses from you guys, right? you know, because you sponsor my show. Yeah. And I just gave you one today. He's yelled. He's like had to like yell at me. Right. Because I've showed up with the harness that I don't think it was unsafe, but it was getting pretty worn out. Yeah. And for a guy who can just say, hey, can I have a new harness? Right. You know, and, and tra- I'm joking about it, but tragically, you know, that that was Todd Skinner's demise. And exactly. he was in the exact same boat yeah. of being able to get a new harness. But and he you had have, to, yeah. Well, the other problem aside from the money is you have these you get these sentimental attachments to climbing gear. Yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. And, you know, it's your good old harness that got you up that and that and that and that and, you know, and it's also like I'll admit too that like it's a badge of honor. Yeah, well, you don't you, you know, I've often joked that you don't want to show up at the cliff with all brand new gear. You're right, gonna, right. You know, everybody's going to roll their eyes like, "Uh-oh, what's about to happen?" Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, you show up and your harness is a little and you got the, you know, you, if you're sport climbing, but you got the rubbed out uh, chimney side, yeah. it, just, it just tells everybody that like, this isn't the, the, you know, isn't my the only first thing rodeo. I do. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so anyway, I feel for you guys out there, but you know, again, like a couple hours of work for most of us, even four or five, if you're, you know, working minimum wage yeah. and you can start to save up enough money to, to get a harness or whatever. But, you know, you it's know? true though, but you just can't take the dirt out of dirt bag. You know, it's, it's really tough and we're all, we're all just as bad. I'm just as bad. I like, I use a rope longer than I should, you know, just cause I don't want to be wasteful. Right. You know? Well, and it's also like, you just said like you're friends with all these rope guys, right. but you know, it's like, you don't want to be the guy that's just like always emailing. Hey, hey bro, can you send me a rope? Yeah. yeah. Can, you know, how about it? Can I get another rope? Yeah. So anyhow. All right. Well, anything else you want to, uh, we're, we've cranked through this hour. It's been really fascinating. Is there anything else you want us to, uh, to walk away with in terms of like dealing with gear or bothering you about it or, uh, no, I mean, I don't mind being bothered. Uh, for sure. I get lots of questions. Um, you know, these QC Lab things are out there. In the last year or so, I think Rock and Ice has picked them up. We have a deal with those guys. So they're, they're oh, yeah, pumping them right. out as well. Yeah. yeah, they're on their website too. Um, so it's great just to try to get information out mm-hmm. there. We, Black Diamond, we do it in our way. And uh, just by doing these QC Labs, uh, Petzl has some really great information out there. DMM does some stuff similar as well. Uh, just trying to educate the climbers out there. To, uh, just little nuggets. If you can just get a couple nuggets here and there of stuff to look for, stuff to think about, how to inspect your gear, how long your gear lasts, gear doesn't last forever, that kind of stuff. And I do get specific questions. I try my best to answer them. It's not 
always possible or easy, but people can email me through the VD website. They can find me on there, just KP at, at Black Diamond or whatever. Um, yeah. And it's, where's the, I forgot to ask you when we were talking about, where's the recall information still? It would be on the Black Diamond website okay. somewhere. I actually can't remember what it's Okay, I'll put it in under. the, uh, I'll put it in the outro. Yeah, the recall information is there somewhere. The QC Lab information is some somewhere in there. I can't remember how it's laid out. Okay. Cool. All right, dude, thanks a lot for sitting down. Thanks, it's been a pleasure. Okay, folks, thanks for listening, and thank you to Colin for sitting down. I think uh, I think it was an enlightening episode. I learned a little bit. Hopefully you guys learned some stuff, or maybe it brought up more questions, but uh, you have a place to start anyway. might be fun to do another episode. There's lots to talk about. When you get into the whole nerdy world of engineering and gear, um, be nice to have maybe another perspective on the show from another company down the line. But uh, thanks again to Colin for doing that. And um, I posted the links to the recall and to his QC labs uh, with this post on the website, enormacast.com. So check that out. The QC labs are cool. A lot of good stuff over there. A lot of good videos. And uh, if you get confused... You can probably just email Colin, and uh, he might even answer your questions. He's pretty hot on the email, a lot better than I am, actually. Okay, speaking of the website, of course, my normal spiel here. If you want to help out the Enormacast, you can go to enormacast.com, click on the Help Out tab, and do something to keep the show moving along through the internets. Uh, Keep it popular somehow. Uh, Write a review, like the Facebook page. Go on down the line. Bunch of stuff you can do to help the show. Make sure and tell your friends. Still finding people out there that never heard of this thing. So yeah, tell your friends. Get everybody on board, please. And now that you're out there looking down at all your gear, wondering, God, is that going to work? Is there everything I heard? Do remember that the first thing that needs to happen is you have to check your knot. Let's alone.